Buena Sera, film fans. Hello again. Welcome into episode 78 of the Second Day Film Podcast. It's the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Monday, January 23rd, 2023. I'm Brandon Champion, joined as always by the movie maestro Mike Nichols. Uh, good to see you, buddy. Uh, tell me something good that's happened lately. Um, something good that's happened lately is I'm speaking on a nice new mic. Um, my girlfriend uh, got a new mic and uh, uh, she doesn't use it as much as she'd like to. So I'm borrowing it from her. <laughs> and now you can hopefully hear me better when we record this. So thank you, Catherine. Love you. Appreciate you. Mike has replaced his mic with another mic, just so everyone's keeping track of all the mics around here. Yeah. So uh, Mike's oh, not using the old mic. It's the new mic for Mike. Okay. Yeah. Sounds so like I would hate to confuse anyone. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we cleared that up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but also, hey, we got to give a shout out to our old podcast host, Seven Dean. He has become a father since the last uh, time we recorded uh, a... a Lovely little boy named Dawson Dean, which just sounds like a hockey player to me right off the bat. So, <laughs> Congratulations, Evan. Yep. Hold that mic away from your mouth, not oh, straight sorry. next to it. Sorry, we're still getting used to the mic. Yeah, congratulations, yeah. Evan. We're happy yeah. for you. Yep, for sure. Uh, happy for you, buddy. Welcome to the club. Uh, well, welcome to my club. We're still waiting for Mike to join the club. We'll see about that someday, maybe. Yeah. No comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. I was yeah. gonna say I don't know. You guys need a comment from you, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, I, I'm pumped to be here today because I think we have four very solid original films to talk about tonight. Yeah, yeah, some of them are you know based on source material, but you know we don't have any like huge franchises, you know, other than you know the Pinocchio cinematic universe, of course. Uh, but but <laughs> all these films, I would say, <laughs> all these films, you know, I would say at least have a very clear vision of what they want to be. Is that fair? Yes. I would say these films are all very uh, unique and different. It's it's kind of nice to watch a movie like that's not a superhero movie and is not a like major franchise or something. Like these are all kind of their own unique things. And that was very refreshing. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about these these four. I agree. And we appreciate everyone for listening. Um, you know where to find our, our uh, old episodes. Uh, you can check out our Facebook page at the Second Day Film Podcast. We're also on Twitter at Second Day Film. Uh, you know where to find me on Twitter. Mike has quit the Twitter. So I'm just a lone ranger out there from the podcast. Um, yeah. But <clears throat> uh, yeah, appreciate everyone for listening. So Mike, let's get into this. We got four movies that I know we were both pretty excited to get into and see. Uh, we're going to start with Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is the second Pinocchio adaptation that we've gotten this year following Disney's uh, that came out starring Tom Hanks a couple months ago, which we also reviewed on this podcast. You could hear that a couple episodes ago. Um, but this film tells the story, of course, of Pinocchio, who is actually it reimagines, I would say, the story of Pinocchio, who is a wooden puppet who comes to life as the son of the Carver Geppetto. Uh, we all know the story from the timeless Disney classic from countless other des- uh, adaptations. But this one stars a voice cast. It's stop motion, so you're not getting actual uh, actors. But the voice talents of uh, Ewan McGregor gives his voice to Jiminy Cricket, uh, David Bradley, Gregory Mann, Byrne Gorman, Ron Perlman, John Turturro, Finn Wolfhard, Kate Blanchett, Tim Blake Nelson, and Christoph Waltz and Tilda Swinton make up the principal cast, which is a very good voice cast. Um, and it's obviously directed by the great Guillermo del Toro, who has brought us some of the most imaginative and 
crazy best looking films that I've ever seen. So obviously high expectations coming into this one, Mike, and it, we're going to probably compare it to um, the Disney version. That's just inevitable, at least in, when it comes to which one was better, we can probably do that at the end. But uh, I mean, this movie is a technical Marvel considering it's stop motion and it just looks amazing. Yeah. So this one is, I, I feel like in some ways, this is the type of Pinocchio that Walt Disney would have wanted made. So like, if you think about who Walt Disney was, it's not just a, a creative, creative like filmmaker and artist, but also like as an entrepreneur, what he wanted to do was take stories and put these deeper, more meaningful, like emotional spins on them. So even Walt Disney's original animated Pinocchio film like that is not just a hard line plot walkthrough of the original Italian, you know, 1883 novel of Pinocchio by Carlo Collati. Like he has his own like Disney-fied twist on it. And then you take this version that Guillermo del Toro made, and he also is not doing a step-by-step like walkthrough of Pinocchio, but he's taking the basic story and then with his own themes and his own like, interests and putting that lens through it which makes it a little bit spookier and, and a little bit more like you know poignant and and also he's using a medium like i know it's like uh stop motion but there is some i believe there's some wood involved so it's like he's using almost like these wooden objects to tell a story about a wooden boy shall we say or at least objects that look wooden and it, it does look breathtaking but he's also like doing something innovative with the art form itself and to me, it's like, that is kind of what Walt Disney in like, in essence, was trying to do with his own Pinocchio. So to now see someone take that Disney spirit, shall we say, to tell a really touching, moving story based on this, this old fairy tale, like, this is really what Disney would have wanted. Like, not the, like, live action CGI abomination you know, remake that we got from them. Like this, like I don't think we it, called it an abomination on that podcast. I, I don't. Um, we thought it was a little too easy and simple because it was basically like a scene for scene, shot for shot. Yeah, which which has no innovation to it. There's nothing creative about that. There's nothing bold. And like this is a bold Pinocchio. This made me rethink about the story a lot and rethink about like the meaning of it and stuff. Um, you know, and it's very different. Like. I would have never thought to been like, oh, wow, Pinocchio uh, having to deal with, uh, you know, Mussolini. Uh, this is not really where I thought a Pinocchio movie would go. And yet this really worked for this version. So in this version of the story, it's set in, um, you know, Italy uh, during the, the period right before World War II. And, uh, you know, Mussolini's coming to power. So there's a lot in here about fascism. And, um, you know, it, it does similar to what the other Disney um, film did, where Geppetto has lost a son and the puppet is trying to replace the son. Um, and then, you know, we have a blue fairy who almost feels I like the way the fairies in this or I don't know if they're more like we would call them angels. They're very they feel like those the description of like the biblical angels with multiple wings and eyes all over them and kind of spooky and scary looking a little bit. Um and yeah, the so whole then, thing is a darker tone. The whole story yeah, is a darker tone. And that was yeah. an interesting way to go about it and dig into Pinocchio because 
Uh, I mean, it's if you really sort of think about the story, like you said, it sort of makes you think about it in a different way. I would say it reframes it as kind of like that Geppetto's like this depressed, drunken toy maker who is right. creates Geppetto as sort of a replacement because he can't deal with grief. And then be, because of that, you almost get like this, at least at the start, sort of like this Frankenstein-like creature where everyone's like, you know, oh my God, the puppet's talking. Like people in the church are horrified. Like people are re reacting in real ways, how they actually right, yeah. reacting. Authentic. And like just the way that, yeah, the way that Pinocchio talks, especially early on, I'm super ignorant where how he's, everything is so over the top and he's almost like unnatural and brainwashed and just listens to whatever anyone tells him. And then of course, like you mentioned, you can compare that to fascist Italy where people are just sort of doing what people are telling them, maybe out of fear, maybe out of ignorance, maybe out of just, you know, co compliance or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, it, it makes sense to sort of, you know, because he's a puppet with no strings, but uh, his puppet master, I forget his name, but played amazingly by Christoph Waltz is like, yeah, but I still control you. And to yeah. set that against the background of fascist Italy is uh, right. definitely a very smart and interesting way to frame this story. Yeah, and the I setting fits the themes and the characters' choices fit the setting. It's perfect. Yeah. And I agree with the the fairies, the, uh, the one, the personification of death, how his punishment is he has to spend more time with her each time, therefore keeping him away from the ones he loved. And that just leans into the the, the, the theme of the whole thing where you know, time is precious to mortals because we only have such little of it. And he wants to become a real boy, but that become that comes with costs and it and it carries a heavy burden because life is short and you have a limited time to do things. So if you want that real boy life, you have to deal with the consequences or the things that go along with that. And that was just a really smart way to add something to the story to raise the stakes for what Pinocchio is going through in the story. Yeah, I think all that boils down to just one good one word, and that's writing this was a very well written film i mean even just like the details it gives of the cricket literally lives in his heart as it like it's such a nice detail on on the design but like even the way pinocchio is written as a character like in in the other pinocchio he was like perfect he really didn't need to learn anything he was already a perfect kid kind of this pinocchio is is flawed but but still cute it's he's annoying he's <laughs> But yeah, but sweet. And he was short. He's a kid, you know? He's like a real kid. And that's, he doesn't that's, know how, that's how Pinocchio should be. Um, there's so many good little moments, like, where, but Pinocchio, you're alive. Love starts. Like, that made me laugh so hard. Or, or just the line where he sees, like, Geppetto's working on this Jesus, like, another son who dies sacrificially in the story, you know? And he's like, well, gee, he's made of wood. Why were they singing to him and not me? Yeah, such, a, such an interesting line. And then, ironically enough, Pinocchio will sing for them. You know, it's there's so, the writing fits in with the themes, which fits in with the character choices, which fits in the setting. It's just so very well done at a layered level. It's excellent. Yeah. Um, and, if, and if that Disney version made it like sort of the watered down, like people pleaser family movie that it's supposed to be, then this one sort of takes a realistic approach and, and examines how it would be in real life, you know, with the religion, the priest and the, you know, the fascist guy played by Ron Perlman, they always show up together. You know, they're like the, the two powers of influence, you know? And uh, so it's like, it, it just has a whole sort of vibe to it. This movie that really grounds it. I loved how the sea monster looked. That scene was yeah. incredible. Um, Ewan McGregor as a narrator, he plays Jiminy Cricket, is always a win for me. Like, Big Fish is yeah. one of my favorite movies. 
and he's yeah, a narrator yeah, yeah. in that movie. And I don't know, his voice is just like so soothing and sort of sets that sort of story book vibe, you know, to sort of let you know what's going on. And I don't know, Guillermo del Toro, man, he's just, he puts everything into his movies. He puts a lot of heart into his movies. Like he's known for his monsters and, and in this one, I guess, you know, Pinocchio is sort of a monster at the beginning. Of the <laughs> too, you know? yeah. so it's like, you know, I know it's a personal movie to him. The real monster is obviously the human, the, the guy who's like the, the, he's basically the combination of honest John. And I forget the dang puppeteer's name, Maestro or whatever his name is. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, you know, it just all really comes together nicely and it looks amazing. It's a very unique animation and it was fun to see a Pinocchio that was brought to life that, um, you know, takes takes sort of a different approach than what we've seen in the past. So uh, I gave this an eight and a half out of 10 and it is number six in my rankings for 2022. So a uh, big fan of this. I'm a big Guillermo del Toro fan in general, and it was fun to see him take on this classic story, especially in the stop motion medium. Yeah, I'll give it an A minus just for the sake of I loved everything about it. It was beautiful. It was well written. It made me rethink the story of Pinocchio. But at the end, it bothers me a little bit. And they kind of played with it more in the, the 2002 or 2022 Pinocchio as well. He doesn't really turn into a real boy at the end. And I, it, I think it's a touching depiction of loss in, way, in a way of dealing with the story of Pinocchio. But to me, there's just something that's a little too cynical about taking this whole story, which is about a, a puppet becoming a real boy, and then being like, but not in my version. He just goes on alone, being sad. Like well, I think the idea is I don't, that I don't he's like, a real as an boy. adaptation. I don't like that. But, but I think the idea is that he's a real boy. Like it's all about his soul and his in his heart, you know, because he sacrifices himself. I thought you were going to say that you didn't like how they threw uh, Jiminy Cricket like having a wish, and that's how he gets to come back to life. Like that was some sort of cop out. Uh, no, but thought, you know we don't want it to end horribly sad. I guess I, I thought Jiminy Cricket's wish was going to be make him a real boy who's alive, and that was how they were going to deal with it. And then well, he was like, "No, just had to bring just... him back to life." No, but what but what I'm saying is that the the fairy, the spirit, whatever, already made him a real boy, so he was mm. already that. You know, it's it's just like it's the yeah, soul but... is real. He doesn't need to transform from a puppet into a real boy. Like we don't have to, we don't have to actually see it. I get it, but I still want him to get to be a real boy. You know, I want him to get to enjoy enjoy it. But you know, that's that's just my preference. It's just you know, but uh, I will say uh, that wasn't the only similarity with the other one. Like in both both this and the other new Pinocchio, there's a weird there's a poop scene uh, <laughs> where Pinocchio is dissecting or looking at poop, and then there's also a monstro or the the, the giant like sea monster scene where where someone is using a little jet ski to get away from like by just swimming really fast like there's still there's still little scenes like that uh i thought that was interesting how they both had those but overall this is a great remake of pinocchio um really interesting take gamble del toro fantastic filmmaker put a lot of heart and soul to this i give it an a minus and you can watch it on netflix uh, moving along to our second <laughs> film we're going to review here today uh, is a film directed by Mark Mylod. It is called The Menu. It's currently available on HBO Max. A young couple travels to a remote island to eat at an exclusive resort where the chef has prepared a lavish menu with some shocking surprises. Uh, this film stars an ensemble cast. 
led by uh, Ralph Fiennes, uh, Hong Chow, Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, Janet McTeer, Reed Burney, Judith Light, and John Leguizamo. Um, <laughs> like this movie, man. I, I read that plot summary when I first was like looking into watching this movie. And I'm just like, what the hell? Like, well, yeah, this is obviously going to get weird, but uh, I wasn't quite sure where it was going to go. And man, this thing for me, like it remained entertaining throughout. Like it, it didn't Same. Really- it didn't really fizzle for me, you know, like no, yeah. you worry, you worry about movies like this where it's like, you know, we know something crazy is going to happen. We don't really know what it is. You know, once they reveal it, is that what sort of, is the movie going to sort of lose its, its luster? Is it going to get boring? Is it going to get too convoluted? This point might come up later in this episode, actually for me, this one was just mm-hmm. consistently like I was into it, whether it was the dialogue, the performances, you know, all the different characters, sort of, again, archetypes of rich people, sort of like what we talked about in Glass Onion. Uh, mm-hmm. And just watching these people go through basically hell is just <laughs> movie magic these days, apparently. Yeah. No, I wrote down, I, I wrote down uh, in my notes as I was watching it, I wrote down, this movie is the Glass Onion meets Squid Game meets a modest proposal by jonathan swift which i don't did you ever have to read that in high school a modest proposal i did not know so jonathan swift was like a famous satirist he wrote gulliver's travels stuff like that he also has this this like little essay he wrote called the modest proposal where basically he is telling you know the people that like hey what should we do about you know, this problem that we're having with, um, I think it's the, the Irish. Um, like, what should, what should the English do about the Irish? And he's like, oh, I have a, a modest proposal. Let's just eat their children. Like, you know, and it's, it starts out as a satire of him. Like, you know, a young, healthy child, we could nurse it and then make a delicious food. We could stew it or serve it in a, a fricassee or something. And the whole thing is just this grotesque, like satire on. Oh, of course, that's horrible. We would never really do something that bad. And then it leads into this. I mean, after all, we've already taxed their parents to death, and we've already destroyed their country. Why don't we just eat their kids too? Like, and then you realize where the satire is going. Of oh wow, if we're so horrible enough that we're gonna, we're going to do all this stuff, hey, why don't we just eat the kids? That's okay, right? And that this movie has that kind of satirical, fierce energy where it's like, you know, all you people who are using your power, using your wealth to destroy lives, to ruin people's futures, like, you know what, like, maybe we should eat you. Like, maybe you should be taken to a restaurant where you are being served up the way you have served other people up. Um, and that is yeah. kind of what my modest proposal was. And I think this is like a modern film version with that kind of same theme. I, it's crazy you just mentioned those things because I wrote down uh, the format of escalating violence is clearly a trend these days. I got the same vibes I did when I was watching Squid Game. Mm-hmm. So we are, mm-hmm. we're, on, we're on the same page there. And I also wrote down, uh, you know, Jean-Jacques Rousseau during the French Revolution was the first one to sort of say, eat the rich. But instead, yeah. we're eating with the rich, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. die, which is just, I think, a hilarious idea and commentary on how, you know, the commentary in this is just really smart. I mean, obviously it's super entertaining to watch with these ridiculous meals and this escalating violence and this crazy stuff happening. But you know, it's like these rich people just have this rich extravagance, you know, paying 1250 to eat this meal to the point where there isn't even a point to the meal. Like half of it isn't even food. 
you know yeah. it's just like it's a story it's an art and you have the food critic and you have yeah. you know the rich finance bros and you have and and the only one who can see through this is you know the normal person which is anya taylor joy who continues to be just incredible in everything she's in i, I don't know what it is with this girl man she like hypnotizes you when she performs you know like she does have a a very unique face, you know, very like super strong jawbones. I don't know what it is, cheekbones, whatever it is. This girl's a fantastic actress. She's one of the rising stars out there and everything she's in, she just seems to nail it. So uh, the fact that she's like the only normal person, so to speak uh, in this. And, you know, we see that reflected when Ralph Fiennes is like, we need to know if you're with us or you're with them, you know, when they're having these backdoor conversations, uh, it, it all just crescendos into what ends up being obviously kind of, upsetting when it's happening on screen but because you know it's a satire uh it just ends up being like infinitely entertaining throughout yeah uh and and i will say like there are definitely laugh out loud moments for this like i had a couple moments where nicholas holt just completely clueless and like <laughs> and so carefree about all the horrors around him he's just like trying just enjoying the food, it the yeah him, like, <laughs> I didn't, yeah, I mean, I knew he was a good actor, and and he has a bit of range, but like, especially with um, you know, the the great, he's in he's in that, and he's hilarious in that. But I didn't like, I forgot, like, oh yeah, this guy has pretty good comedic chops as well. Um, and he's yeah, so into right. being a foodie, he's yeah, and so desperately wants to be or in the chef's life that he's like willing to die for it just to taste it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so over the top. Like, I I laughed when um. <laughs> when they give the guys a 45 second head start and they go off running and then they all get brought back. And then like instantly the, all the women, like they're in the middle of knowing that they're like in some messed up game, but then they sit around the table and they're trying the sous chef's food and they're just like complimenting mm -hmm. her. Like, this is just fantastic. And they're like, is that lemon? And they're just like, <laughs> saying all this, like, like they're not in this crazy situation. It's just, it's just so smart in that way where everyone in the room like knows they're dying and they're sort of panicking, but at yeah. any moment they'll just be like distracted by the lavishness of something right. because that's what their entire life is. It's just, it's a very smart commentary. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's like anything super unique, like the themes they're leaning into. Like I just said, we've seen a lot of it, but the way it's presented in this movie is very entertaining and unique. I would say. Yeah. Uh, it definitely keeps you, like you said, it keeps you entertained. Is this one I'm going to watch again and again and again? Like, probably not. But everything I saw was interesting. It kept me engaged, kept me entertained. I had some laughs. And it made me be like, oh, those meals are kind of interesting. Like, I never thought about, like, food as art. Food as storytelling. Food is, like, even science the way like they describe it uh, there's a line where nicholas Holt, holt's character talks about like this is one of the last pure sciences or something and it's it's very interesting <laughs> yeah. um I heard another I, character that stood out to me it was uh rob yang uh right. he yeah he was um the guy who played bryce in it his facial reaction and his dry sarcasm about everything was gold for me i, I recognized him from succession and uh yeah, yeah i was like he, he stood out as really good in this one as well yeah he's the what is it balter yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so a couple just random things for me. A couple random things for me. Uh, did it seem like the slaps were getting louder every single time? And they, every single time they caught me off guard when the chef was doing that. Uh, did, did they get louder? I didn't. I, I could definitely you could feel them, but I didn't know if they got louder. I think they got a little bit louder every time as the, as the sort of violence kept escalating. So oh, that, I, I thought that that's was a cool. nice touch. 
And low-key, Mike, I'm a huge Food Network fan. I, I watch yeah. a lot of that in the cooking channel. And so yeah. I appreciated how when they were showing the courses, they, like put the ingredients, you know, up, up on the screen. And oh, yeah, that was great. Was yeah. And they yeah. even wrote things like his shame or something or his like they yeah. wrote funny, sarcastic things. It's a very good movie. They, oh, sorry, what? When, when they were like, you know, and then they, he made the one guy cook, you know, Nicholas Holt. Oh, uh, yeah. Tyler. Tyler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then the last thing, Mike, please don't say mouthfeel. Please don't say what? Mouthfeel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah, that's good. I gave this one a B plus. I really enjoyed it. I'm at an eight and a half out of ten again, Mike. I really liked this movie. I thought it was a super fun time to watch. And I actually put it just ahead of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. So it's a oh. top five top five movie for the year for me so far. I still haven't seen a lot of the Oscar contenders and stuff like that. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I'm the a reason, big fan of it. I think it's the, smart. I think it's entertaining and it's well acted. Ralph, Ray Fiennes was also amazing, we should say. Oh, yeah. But the, I would say the only reason I put Pinocchio up higher is because I think it takes a lot more to make a slow-mo like claymation film. Um than like yeah. just a normal movie like i i just think that takes way more work and levels of like you know like artistry than just shooting people on camera does so uh, yeah technically uh, it doesn't match that i i just rank my films they're more it's more all-encompassing i guess and, and a lot of what it is is how much fun i have watching it and i guess i had a little more fun watching the menu than i did Pinocchio's pinocchio but both are very good and, and both should be watched so yeah uh, that's Sure. It's, on H- it's on HBO Max. Uh, I think a pretty clever movie that uh, is definitely entertaining and should be checked out. Yeah. Another one that's pretty entertaining, Mike, at least in my book, is Vengeance. And this is directed uh. by, and written by B.J. Novak, who, of course, is known from the office fame. Uh, a writer from New York City attempts to solve the murder of a girl he hooked up with and travels down south to investigate the circumstances of her death and discover what happened to her. Uh, B.J. Novak is also uh, the star of this film. Boyd Holbrook, Leo Tipton, Ashton Kutcher, Isabella Amara, Dove Cameron, Jay Smith Cameron, another succession actor there, Mike. Uh, mm-hmm. And Ed Nickel round out the rest of the cast here. <clears throat> this was one I, I saw a preview for. I can't remember. I was at the theater and I and I saw this come up and I was like, oh, BJ Novak is going to have a directorial debut of a film. And we obviously know he's a smart writer, wrote a lot of The Office. Uh, he's, he's written a lot of other stuff. I mean, he's a very clever dude. Um, so I was excited to see he was going to get a chance to have his shot at a directorial debut, Mike. And I think he mostly delivered with this, you know, it's, it's not a, I wouldn't say a great all time film, but it shows a lot of promise. It's very well written. I think it's, that's honestly the best part of this movie. It's, it's anchored by this sort of funny, sly, smart timely script that sort mm-hmm. of plays on uh you know the the differences between different parts of america but uh you're the one who really wanted to review this so what did you think of vengeance yeah well i mean you have to keep in mind like this is a movie about a someone from the east coast who becomes a journalist and eventually moves to texas so there was a lot of things about Why this that movie that I, yeah like it's kind of like i don't know a memoir of someone on this podcast life maybe um but uh yeah i definitely was interested to watch this film i love uh, bj novak i really like the office i also like the book without pictures that he did i, I think he's a very good writer um and yeah this is definitely a film that i think in some ways is timely i don't know if it's timeless because it does feel very pop culture 
referenced and and in some ways it, that'll keep it dated to this time period but uh it, it's a very enjoyable movie um it's very funny it's definitely got a sharp satirical sense of humor um it's also interesting just because you are trying to figure out hey what did happen to this girl like there is a mystery here and that keeps you engaged um there were i mean it was definitely one of the funniest movies i saw last year like i remember the one line where the guy saying to him, you know, you look like the guy like from a Liam Neeson movie. Like, I don't know. Oh, Schindler's List. Yeah, you look like a lot of the guys from that movie. And I just like, I couldn't stop laughing at that. Like, that just made me laugh so hard. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that now that I am someone from not from Texas, moved to Texas. There's a lot about the Texas humor that they, they reveal in the movie. I'm like, yep, that's real. Um, I, I won't name anyone, but someone who was born and raised in Texas was sitting next to me watching the movie, and she didn't find those parts as funny as I did. But, um, uh, but I died when they this. did. I died when they did the uh, the Texas Texas Tech bit at the rodeo yeah. because yeah. you would you would think that you know there's so many casual sports fans that would just assume that like everyone in Texas roots for Texas. Or, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> the the line when they're like. What if you were driving a real car with gas and stuff? <laughs> or, yeah. or when Granny Granny's talking about how you can't solve this problem with a forty-five, and then proceeds to name off like eight different guns, right? And the yeah. whole family's like, "Yep, yep, yeah." I mean, this is this is stuff that people are going, you know, like snobby East Coasters are going to make fun of Texas for. I thought right. it was harmless. I'm not from Texas. I thought it was harmless poking fun. Maybe if you're from there, you might not like it very much. But I didn't think that it really in the end, the movie really made people from Texas, like, look all that bad, to be honest. Like, they sort of uh, portrayed this family as just, like, genuinely eccentric, you know, and quirky, and mm -hmm. they have their own sort of uh, unique sort of bits to them, and that sort of plays into the movie in a lot of ways, which which I'm going to get to in a second here, but I just want to say off the top that I dig the concept of this movie. I love that podcasts have gotten so big in pop culture that they're, like, the main yeah. topic in shows and movies, you know, like obviously only murders in the building uh, is a big one that sort of relies on that. But the, yeah. the idea that like people build conspiracies because that's easier to believe than an unfortunate reality. Very right. timely. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's anchored by BJ Novak, who I think gives sort of a charming performance because I'm intrigued by the idea of sort of like this single New York bachelor who can't have a serious connection with any women at, to the point where like, he's labeling all them on like five meet like a few features or where he met yes. like they literally that's what they are and then he goes to texas and randomly connects with this eccentric wild family on a deeper level than he ever thought he was capable and then through that he sort of learns this lesson that you know he essentially goes from being excited and amused about you know the characters that he's meeting because it's going to be great for the podcast but by the end he realizes that they aren't characters at all that they're real people and so he, the movie has a little bit of heart in that way where he sort of learns a lesson that, you know, like it's okay to connect to people, even if you don't expect it to happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a good lesson here that, you know, it's good to learn from other cultures. There's strengths that other cultures have that maybe your culture doesn't have, or you didn't grow up with, um, you know, and I do think it also shows that he is someone who needs to grow. Like there are some East coast things about him that are maybe not, um the most healthy qualities uh like you know the way he treats people like his his cynicism um man i will say like i i was very convicted with the way he kept saying 100 to everything like oh 100 dude 100 like 
I don't know why. Like lately, I've gotten into doing that, and as soon as I saw that in the film, I was like, "Oh gosh, this is me! I'm gonna stop doing this." So, like, I totally was convicted watching the movie. Sorry, everyone. I've been saying that too. I'm working on it. Um, to your point, it's always nice to see the snobby East Coast elitists get knocked down a peg. Absolutely, yeah, and I do think they did that. Um, Yeah, like I also think the villain was good. Um, You know, I thought I'd only well. Spoiler: The villain's Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. Spoiler: The villain is Ashton Ashton Kutcher. But uh, yeah, like when I first met him, I was like, okay, like I'm showing a guy who's like not as like shall we say, podunk as all the other people are representing, and uh, you know, and and right away though, like my the the Texan I watched this Hold with. On. You're you're getting all jumbled on the mic. You got to hold it closer up to your mouth. Oh, sorry. Is this better? Yeah, you really got to put that on the table, bro. All right, sorry, man. I'll do better. Um, Next pod, right there. Just put it well, on a table and speak into it. It doesn't have a thing to put it on a table. It's just gotta, just gotta hold. It. Well, I could, I could try putting it in the other one. But anyway, I'll hold it right here for now. But uh, yeah, like he's a good villain. He's an interesting guy. He makes you wonder why he would do something like this. I will say the ending kind of surprised me that uh, he straight up just killed him. Uh, I don't know that I found that ending, frankly, realistic. Like you can't nah, just kill, kill, a, kill a music producer and just walk away. And all the Texans just be like, "Cool, bro!" Like vigilante law. Like that is not like that is a bit far-reaching for the country. Uh, and uh, and the other thing is, I don't know if it's justified. Like, okay, this Move guy calls this. Mic, you got to speak into the mic, dude. Sorry. I don't know. I don't know if that ending was justified. Like you just murder this guy over this. Like you don't take him to prison. You don't have a jury. You don't like. I don't. I don't agree that just putting a bullet through that man is necessarily the right thing to do there. Um, or that that like there now you're Texan. You've you've killed someone. Like I, but I like I like that. I didn't find that to be the best message. Um, I liked the film, but I was a little I was a little cynical about that ending. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't find it to I be. I didn't think it was. I didn't think didn't it fit, made didn't much. Fit. Didn't fit the rest of the movie. No, I agree. It's. It was a little bit too much. Uh, going a little bit too far in the crazy direction in a movie that is pretty grounded in other ways. Like it. it yeah. Kind of like it's in reality, so it was kind of weird to like. Oh, he's just going to shoot this guy, and then he's going to move on with his life. And it. It also sort of takes away from your ability to uh, relate to and feel good to BJ Novick's character because it's like, yeah, that guy was probably a scumbag, but. You just like straight up murdered someone, so right, now you're yeah. just gonna go on with your life, and it sort of takes away from the lessons he does learn throughout the movie. So uh, I think it was a movie that, if it wanted to, it could have leaned more into that sort of East Coast elitist learns from someone who's different, and they learn from each other, you know, in different ways. I think they could have done more with, with it. He leans into it for laughs, and it is funny. So I guess if it's just really not going to trying to go too deep with that, but it's an entertaining movie to watch. It's well written. Uh, the acting's great. I like how each of the sort of family members have their own sort of quirks and uh, sort of they're very flushed out characters. You know, the little kid likes to sleep on the floor, and they all love Waterburger, and they can't explain why what they just do. Like it's just funny bits, and uh, it's yeah. interesting to watch. And uh, so I'm excited to see what B.J. Novak can do in the future. Um, yeah, he, me too. He definitely has the talent. We know he can write, but if he can pull together, you know, directing like this, I'm I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, I'm excited too. I gave this one a B plus. I gave it a um, what is it? Uh, where did I have that? Eight out of ten. So a little bit lower than the other two, uh, just for some of those quick critiques that I mentioned. But still, 
I don't think we've had a lot of pods where I'm in an eight, at least an eight, all three, all three movies in. So uh, pretty good four pack here we're reviewing. Um, moving on to our, oh, I believe you can watch that on Amazon Prime right now, by the way, mm-hmm. if you're trying to check out Vengeance. Um, moving on to the final film we're going to talk about here today. It's another, I guess you could say, murder mystery, Mike. One that's got a very different tone to it, though. Uh, it is called The Pale Blue Eye. It debuted on Netflix on January 6th. It's directed by Scott Cooper. A world-weary detective is hired to investigate the murder of a West Point cadet stymied by the cadet's code of silence. He enlists one of his own to one of the own to help unravel the case. A young man the world would come to know as Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, this film is starring Christian Bale as our main character, Augustus Landor. Harry Melling plays the future Edgar Allan Poe. Timothy Spall, Simon McBurney, Toby Jones, uh, uh, Fred Haeschlinger, Lucy Boynton, Robert Duvall, Gillian Anderson round out the cast. Mike, Edgar Allan Poe seems to be like a, a character that people love to make stories about. I think that's probably because like there's a lot of mystery surrounding his later life when he died. I mean, I think the reality yeah. probably is that he drank himself and did drugs and died in a gutter somewhere, unfortunately. But he's such an interesting character that has such contributions to literature left over that I think it is fun to romanticize uh, maybe how was a banner maybe what would have happened and it's interesting to have him as a side character here and to focus on this short time of his life when he was at west point um so i thought that was an interesting choice from a story standpoint i think this movie looks great the sort of eerie gothic vibe of pre-civil war west point is incredible mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh you know dimly lit dorms and halls and manors and bars i think it sets a nice tone for the film that also invokes the works of poe yeah yeah, this is, uh, if you're an Edgar Allan Poe fan, uh, this is definitely a film for you. Um, it was kind of funny. We went to an Edgar Allan Poe reading the same day we watched this film. We watched this movie in the afternoon. And then at night, we went to an Edgar Allan Poe reading where they read, like, they did live performance readings of, like, four of his most famous pieces. And it was just a good, it was a good Edgar Allan Poe day. Um, but, yeah, this film was a great, uh, this film was a great, like, uh, vibes for poe lovers um you know it's based on a, a very very popular uh book um and uh, i hadn't read the book so i didn't know what this film is going to be i don't know how accurate this film is to the book um it made me, it made me want to go read the book though honestly um because i think it's a really interesting mystery um i did not see the twist coming at the end um i mean the the ultimate twist like there's kind of multiple twists in this but like Big Maybe twist. I, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it got me. Uh, was it too big of a twist? I don't know, but uh, it, it was like, whoa, uh, made me want to go watch it again, though, and see. You know, one thing I liked about this movie is that it took its time. Like the shot, it had long, it had long shots. It used a lot of still camera. Um, it made me kind of want to absorb the story, like at, at a paced level which I think a lot of films are just so fast. They use so many cuts, so many shots. This one kind of felt like an old school movie in that sense. And it was, the, the slowness was almost refreshing. <laughs> Maybe sounds weird to say, but it was. And my God, what a good performance, not just from Christian Bale, but like everyone in the cast, especially Harry Melling. Like, wow, that dude, uh, he started out as Dudley Dursley in Harry Potter. And now he is like, I think one of the most impressive actors I've seen, like not just definitely from those movies, but from like of all the kids who grew up from Harry Potter and turned out to be good actors. Like 
he is he's up there dude uh he's very impressive i remember him in um uh the ballad of buster scruggs and he played uh you know the, the poor little guy who didn't have arms and legs but was a great like actor and i've been seeing him do other stuff like devil all the time or um queen's you know gambit. queen's gambit and it's like man he is just coming alive for me i think this guy is a great actor his edgar Allan poe is like interesting and wit and like smart yet yet like something just feels off and un, uneasy about him and yet he feels like like somewhat vulnerable but also full of heart like i he he put a lot into that performance harry melling is a fantastic actor and i've been watching like clips of like him doing interviews with christian bale about the film and i mean listening to christian bale say oh i want to work so badly with him i think he's a great actor it's like wow like christian when christian bale is like desperate to work with you like you know you're doing pretty good like that's i that's off harry melling i'm glad to see you starting to do more dude couple things on those comments you just made that i think i disagree with a little bit oh. i agree harry melling was good i, I think that <laughs> you don't, you don't was, think christian bell sounds like that <laughs> No, that's not the point I'm talking about. Uh, Harry Melling, I agree. He was good. He he really leaned into it. Uh, he was all over the place. Uh, I mean, I think that's that's how I imagine Edward Allan Poe would be, just kind of like creepy. You know, he has sort of like a, you know, his look is interesting, I would say. So he kind of can embody that sort of, well, he's believable that these cadets wouldn't accept him right away. I think I disagree with a little bit about um, the ending of this movie because, I agree. Throughout it, it feels really measured and purposeful as Landor and Poe sort of get to know each other and sort of learn to work with each other's strengths. But right about when we get to the, you know, the cult part with the brother and sister trying to carve his heart open to basically everything after that, I don't know. I think it gets a little bit too crazy. It gets a little bit out there. All of a sudden, we got this murder plot. We've got a rape. We've got uh, like the occult going on. I, I it got a little too wild for me at the end, I, as opposed to how measured it was in the beginning of the film. That just felt sort of awkward to me. And then the other main criticism I would have, other than Harry Melling, is I thought some of the cast was, I don't know, trying maybe a little bit too hard, overreact, overacting a little bit. I don't know. It felt like they were yeah. trying too hard to make it sort of like a an Edgar Allan Poe story where it's just everything is over the top and everything is very like, uh, you know, like the acting is like, like they're on theater or like they're on a play or something more so than it feeling natural within West Point. I don't know. There was just something a little bit too weird for, from a lot of the portrayals, but I agree. Harry Melling was great. It just felt like this movie was trying to sort of tap into a mood that a lot of Poe's works have, which is like this vibe of impending doom. And I think it did it very well throughout maybe the first hour and a half, but then at the end, it just sort of went off the rails a little bit for me. I wasn't surprised that Lander was the killer. I figured it was either going to be him or, you know, I knew it wouldn't be Edgar Allan Poe, but we—it wasn't just going to be some random side character that we only saw for three scenes. So, um, you know, it was still entertaining to watch. I just think that the the last maybe third of the film was a little bit uneven. Huh. Okay, that's fair. I do think there were moments where I'm like, oh, why would you cut right there? Wait, what? Why would you do that? Like, for example, there's a scene where the girl has like a. Uh, I don't know. She has a, a like a moment where she's maybe having a, a seizure or something. Yeah. And then it just cuts to her falling at that. And then him worrying about her cuts to me else. And then the next scene, she's just walking with that ground Poe fine, having a nice little walk. She's like, Oh, sorry about that. I'm like, no, no, no. They should like, you should show her waking up. Like 
some of the flow sometimes with the scenes didn't always line up for me. Um, but so that was more of a director thing versus a character thing or a writing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and- times it was maybe a little too slow for its own good, but uh, like it's still a good story. It's still a good mystery. It's it's also like you don't see a lot of mysteries set during that time period. And and with like something like Edgar Allan Poe, like, I don't know. I just I really like the uniqueness of it. So. No, I, I agree on that stuff, and it looked great. And the other thing from a writing standpoint that I didn't really get is, like, so Landor's the murderer here, right? But, like, wasn't he the one who was invited to West Point? Like, did he know that was going to happen? You know, because he gets invited to investigate his murder. Um, I don't think he knew it was going to happen. Okay, so, like, doesn't that be, like, the, the inciting event to the whole thing that now he's here on you know, the campus and now he's getting involved with all these people to get closer to him. And now he gets to, you know, I don't know, manipulate his murders to fit a grand plan. I don't know, it just seemed a little convenient. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe if we read the book, we'd, we'd understand it better, but. Uh... And then also the pale blue eye, it's said in the movie, it's always a crowd pleaser, you know, say the title of the movie in the movie, but I, I looked up the quote and it says one of his eyes resembled that of a vulture, a pale blue eye mm. with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. I'm like, that's interesting. Harry Melling says that in the movie when he's talking to uh, the girl there. But I don't really know what that has to do with, with the movie or the theme. So I don't know. Other than the fact that he talks about killing. I don't, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it feels like they just threw a title on there. to Maybe this is flushed down the book again, but. I don't know, it just sort of felt like this movie was sort of like throw like trying to check off boxes at the end and throw everything in there. And while you know the, the it looked great and I was enjoying some of the performances, some not, it just sort of felt like they were sort of jumbling it all in at the end and it just sort of ruined the the slow, sort of methodical pace that we had in the beginning for me. But it was still pretty entertaining. I think I gave it a seven out of ten. Yeah, I'll give it a I'll give it a B. I'll give it a B. I think good performances take a somewhat slowly directed film into a very interesting mystery. So I give it a B. All right. Fair enough. I mean, it definitely is, uh, you know, the mystery keeps you guessing, you know, so it's, it's definitely worth a watch. It's not bad by any means. So I would say that's four for four, Mike, that's four winners. That's four. Yeah. Four very, four very solid watchable films, like, and all very different. Like, you know, we didn't do a single Marvel movie. You know, we didn't do a single Disney movie. We didn't do you know, a Star Wars thing. You know, it's again, it's nice to just get away from franchises for a little bit. Um, and yeah, uh, and there are other good the movies. Pinocchio can be Cinematic Universe, Mike. The Pinoc- <laughs> <laughs> Enough with the Pinocchio movies. I watched oh, one man. that came out last year in Italy, too. Like, just yeah. stop. We don't need to go down the Pinocchio road anymore for a long time. Please. I, th- I think uh, there was even another Pinocchio movie made. Yeah, Pinocchio, a true story. Yeah, yeah, I watched the one that was made in Italy. It was an Italian version, which actually I quite liked. It was pretty, it was better than that Disney one for sure. So, uh, sorry, Tom Hanks. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah uh, we love you, Tom, but uh, we don't love that movie. Anyways, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. Appreciate everyone for listening. Mike, appreciate uh, you being here. Uh, we wanted to get back on the mic with the new mic that Mike has, and he threw the old mic away. So, yeah, uh, glad we could do that. But, uh, and once again, shout out Evan Dean, shout out Dawson Dean, shout out Ashley Dean. Hope you're doing okay. Hope you're uh, recovering. I know it can be a little bit crazy there. So, thoughts and prayers with you guys, and we're uh, happy for you. So, we dedicate this episode of the podcast to the Deans. How about that, Mike? 
That sounds good. All right. Cool. Well, we appreciate everyone for listening as always. So for Mike Nichols, I'm Brandon Champion. Thank you once again for listening to the Second Day Film Podcast. We'll talk to you next time and we'll see you.